You're listening to the Mini Market Podcast presented by Tellum Sports. Welcome back to the Mini Market Podcast. Um, episode 31 coming at you here. Uh, again, a three man weave, but a different version of it this time. We have Isaiah, Dalton, and Connor hosting again here. A um, little different, mixing it up. I'm going to host, and uh, and we're going to let Dalton be be a more of a a role player in this one a little bit, and uh, kind of know your role, do your job. So, uh, with that said, boys, how we feeling? How we doing? Dalton, feeling refreshed after a, a week off? Feeling great. Got out in Big Sky Country, Montana. Smoky as heck, but I'm back feeling alive. Breathing in that good smoke, kind of adding a little uh, texture to your voice this week. I, I think it's going to be good for the listeners. Thought we missed you, so happy you're back. Fun listen last week. I had no idea what you guys were talking about, so I enjoyed uh, enjoyed the content. I have a couple thoughts I wrote down, actually, so going to get those takes out there while I can. Lay it on us. Going to tear you down to build you up. First of all, you compared Jared Vanderbilt to Dennis Rodman, which might have been one of the more absurd comparisons on this show ever. I said it was unfair. <laughs> <laughs> but then you had one of the better takes that we've ever had when you said that fans and players connect during the playoffs. And that's why yeah. Twins fans are not connected to a lot of the current core of the Twins org because they just haven't had any success. I think that was a really good take. And I think that's why even like MLB wide players like Bryce Harper and Mike Trout, MLB really tried to push them for a while, but they've had no postseason experience or success, really. And I think that's why they never caught on as like big time stars. And it's why players like Derek Jeter, the most overrated MLB player of all time, is massive because he had all these playoff runs and like cool Wilbur. playoff moments. So I thought that was a really good take. Yeah, I remember say that about Derek Jeter. Connor, we're just going to let that happen. I was just going to say to Ike's point, I remember having an aha moment when you said that like last week, like it was like, holy shnikes, that's true. Like I totally can understand that. Where like, we didn't have a ton of success in the, in, you know, like in terms of going deep playoff runs, but we had so many playoff appearances that you started to resonate a little bit with the teams of like the early two thousands or late two thousands. But then after that, yeah, exactly. Great point. As far as Derek Jeter, I don't disagree with him. I don't, I think he is an overrated player, most overrated player. I don't know. We'd probably have to do some digging to, to really dispute that, but that's a bold statement, and Yankees fans would be pissed. 27 rings. Maybe we just table that one. We'll talk about it in a, uh, a midweek podcast. Uh, that might be a good discussion yeah, point. Love that. And Lou's not here, but he had a great line last week when he said, kind of a blind take here, and then <laughs> shout out a take on an Olympic sport that he had never watched. That was, just, that was comedy gold. <laughs> but your Olympic your Olympic talk did get me thinking about comparing track versus swimming. You guys were talking about those for a little while. Swimming, why are there so many different strokes? Like track, you just run as fast as you can. The goal is to be as fast as you can. Why isn't swimming the same way? You can swim however you want, just swim as fast as you can. They have all these races, all these different strokes. I think they should just have different lengths. Just do it however you want. Freestyle. Was swimming the start of the participation medal generation? That's not us, by the way. It's our folks, as we've talked about previously. But was that the was that the real start of it? It is interesting because, like, they don't do like a doggy paddle stroke, which is like one of the most well known strokes. And I think there are actually 
doggy paddle like competitions. Not even kidding. Like I'm pretty sure I've heard of that before where they're like, maybe you doggy paddle like half a mile swim type of thing, which would feel like it would take five ever. Yeah. Um, but it is a good point. Like, and maybe that's what the hurdles are a little bit, right? Like that's kind of a slight variation to just running. Be fun and to do steeplechase, Dalton, steeplechase hurdles. I think Connor, that's a really good point. Here's what would be fun in swimming if you had hoops they had to go to through. So like you can do whatever stroke you want, but then you got to get through like these big hoops under the water at varying depths. So you maybe have to go through two hoops, then come up and breathe, go through a hoop, come up and breathe. That would be a fun competition. I'm in. Count me in. Guaranteed one death in that competition a year. <laughs> People pushing the body to the limits. Yep. Somebody passes out in a hoop. Not to belabor Olympics again, but I didn't realize that in the 50 meter Olympic swim, they don't breathe. Like they just dive in and hold their breath because it slows you down to turn your head. Yeah. So the men and women, they'll just dive in and hold their breath, swim the length of the pool, and then breathe once they hit the finish line on the 50s. So I think the lung capacity of these Olympic swimmers could handle a hoop or two underwater. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that it's and that it is that way in high school too. So high school a lot of times they're twenty five um meter pools or yard pools, whatever length they use. Um but yeah, and, and a lot of times they'll breathe one time and it's like before the flip turn, breathe, go, and then they don't breathe the rest of the way back in that event, like the really top end high school swimmers. So so yeah, it's really crazy that you think about them swimming that far holding their breath, and also exerting a lot of energy. Swimmers incredible, are nuts. Incredible anaerobic capacity in those muscles. Exercise fizz. Boom. Any other thoughts, Dalton, on last week's pod? That's, good, that's some good stuff there. No, they were good takes. I, I enjoyed the listen. I laughed. I cried. I was disappointed at sometimes. Full range of emotions. That's how it should be, Jimmy V. Um <laughs> It is also interesting. Um, Dalton goes to Montana and some wildfires start happening. So um, care to address those uh, allegations at all that we've been kind of floating around and hearing about a little bit. Connect the dots. He Are my takes too hot? Yeah. <laughs> Are my takes too hot? Stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> Ike, how are we feeling back on the pod again? Uh, to be honest, feels weird. This is two weeks in a row for me. Um, might have to bill extra this week. It just, I don't, we'll see if I have the energy this week. I I don't typically like to go back to back. I'm kind of like Joe Maurer day game, night game, uh, bilateral lung weakness, I think. So we'll see if I can keep up. Well, we appreciate your dedication and uh, do what you got to do to get it done here today. Um, with that, we'll move right into the Twins. I know we mentioned last week we kind of brushed over a lot of the Twins trades and just kind of basically said they happened and our initial thoughts. But with Dirty D back on the pod, um, kind of our insider for the Twins, if you will, we wanted to dive into these a little bit more. So Dalton, let's just have you take it away. Go with what you will on this one. All right. Well, it was a busy question mark trade deadline for the Twins. So let's start with some of the minor moves. They sent uh, Hansel Robles to the Red Sox. They got a minor league relief pitcher, kind of a low level, uh, high A, double A relief pitcher, Alex Scherf back for that. So he was an expiring contract, Robles was, so not expected to get a ton back from him, but 
got a young reliever. Maybe he turns into something. Oh, remind us what it took for us to get Robles uh, before the year. Just we can have a f- uh, estimation of, you know, uh, the true gain and loss of his half a season with the Twins. Okay, so Hansel Robles uh, this season is getting paid $2 million. So he was a potential rebound candidate. He had an ERA that I think was like 9 or 10 last year for the Angels. So it was a buy low, essentially. They gave him $2 million, hoping he'd come back. He started off the year really nicely, but then has faded recently. So he was sort of a a bargain, in a sense, in the free agency. Uh, so not a huge loss. Kind of got what we paid for, I feel like, with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's an accurate assessment. Um, One bummer of this trade for me anyways was when I first saw the trade come through, I thought his it was Alex Sheriff, which I thought would be a really cool reliever name. Like you could do like he strikes out and you could do like a bang, bang soundtrack behind it, like an old Western Sheriff. So that was kind of my big takeaway from this trade was finding out his name did not have an eye as a part of it so no eye in team no eye in sheriff so there you go thanks dalton yeah connor i'm with you i'm seeing like a uh you strike a guy out you hear this town's not big enough for the both of us yeah i love that <laughs> as he enters the game that would be sick All, all in. Have tumbleweed <laughs> blown across right field. This is such a big miss opportunity. I don't know if it's worth maybe changing the name, to I, be honest. I think it is. And then kind of think about this. You have, you know, bullpen carts kind of made a, a resurgence in the Olympics this year. We get a bullpen horse, baby. Have him riding in with the spurs on. He has to take <laughs> him off when he gets to the mound. <sighs> oh, there, hater, hater. Oh, there. I love it. I think the this the the marketing team for the Twins and or the Saints really, this is a missed opportunity for them. Also good to get rid of Robles, but. <laughs> so next, I think this was the most surprising trade to Twins fans. The Twins traded Jay Happ to the Cardinals and got two pitching prospects back in the deal. They got John Gant and Evan Sisk. Evan Sisk is sort of a minor league journeyman. Uh, but Gant actually looks pretty good. He's put together five good outings for the Twins, uh, four and two-thirds innings, one run, seven Ks, one walk. And he's got good stuff. Like, I've, I've went back and watched his outing so far. He sits like 96. He's got a slider that's 91. Like, he actually looks like he's good. And he's got one more year of team control. So I don't understand what the Cardinals were looking at when they decided to trade for Jay Happ, who had, given, who had like a 9.6 ERA in his last... 60 innings or something they decided to give up two prospects to get him i that made no sense to me but good on the twins for that deal she had to get the two million dollar john gant contract off the books probably is what they were looking at (laughs) and then the big one obviously the twins traded jose barrios to the toronto blue jays got two top 100 prospects back for that they got simon woods richardson who's a young 20 year old Double uh, A pitcher. He was actually on Team USA with the other Twins edition, Joe Ryan, who they got in the Nelson Cruz trade. Uh, but a 20-year-old, young for his class in Double A. Uh, he's the 68th best prospect in MLB. Um, he's got good strikeout numbers, but a little bit of control issues this year. Um, but uh, he's he became, according to MLB.com, the Twins' new best pitching prospect, which is exciting. And he was sort of the throw into the deal. 
the deal focused around Austin Martin, who is the new twins top prospect. He was the fifth overall pick in last year's draft by the Toronto Blue Jays. He was projected to go second overall, but he was expected to command more than his allotted slot in the draft and teams like the Royals, Orioles, teams that are a little bit more strapped for cash decided to pass on him, which was a surprise. So he fell to fifth. The Blue Jays signed him for a million dollars over his slot. He signed for like seven million. Um, but he's a consensus top 20 prospect. He has a really good hit tool. He was viewed as the best quote unquote pure hitter in the 2020 draft, which really means you're the best hitter who can't consistently hit home runs. Um, but he, he's a guy in a, in a way he reminds me of Joe Maurer where everyone thinks, okay, this guy, he can hit, but is he going to develop his power? Because if he does, he's going to be sort of that perennial all-star type player. If he doesn't, if he's more of that 10 home run a year guy for he's, he's viewed as like a third base, second base shortstop, maybe center fielder. He's just going to be a good hitter, but he's probably not going to be any type of all-star. So the questions around him are really about his power, but he's a crazy competitor. People, his Vandy coach, he played for Vanderbilt, compared him to Michael Jordan because he's just like an insane competitor. He's really fiery. Uh, he's, he's got the long hair, big sunglasses. He's out there to play. He's just the, the classic like ball player. And he, he's, I said this, I put out an article on tellemsports.com. Everyone should check that out. Mm-hmm. I said he is the future leader of the Twins Clubhouse because other top prospects, you look at Alex Kirilov, Trevor Larnick, they're really reserved. Like they're known for just kind of being quiet guys who go about their business, kind of like a Joe Maurer in a sense. But Martin is not. He's, he's fiery. He said he'll get in his teammates' grill on the diamond, but he'll make up for it in the clubhouse. So he's going to be hard on you on the field, but like your friend off the field. And I think that's something every team needs. I think the Twins in Maurer's era sort of had issues with that of like our best player doesn't want to be our leader. I, I think that's there's always a weird dynamic there. But when you have a really good player who can command a clubhouse, Martin's kind of like a Josh Donaldson in a sense, but maybe less of a dick. So that, that excites me because I think you can't be a successful team if your best players are just chilling. Like your role players, when they're trying to be a leader, it sort of falls flat. You, you need your leader to be one of your better players. Kind of like look at the Angels, right? Like Mike Trout, what has he done? And as good as he's been over his tenure for him, like it's the same thing as you're saying about Joe Maurer. He's their best player. He's one of the best players in MLB, but he's not that outspoken leader. And uh, you, you're saying that you think a clubhouse needs uh, the more stereotypical style of leadership, the rah-rah type. I think you need at least one of those guys. I think especially in a baseball season when it's really long and there are lulls in the season, to have a guy on your team who's consistently producing, be in there and fire people up to maybe get in their grill a little bit, not in a, a mean way, but like, let's go, we can do this consistently over 162 games, I think that really helps a baseball team. And that got me thinking, I I don't know, I would be curious to get your guys' take. Do you think a pitcher can be a team leader on a baseball team? Like a starting pitcher who might make 25 or 30 appearances in 162 games? Because to me, yes. you, you do. Yeah, I think like you look at the NL over the last like 10 years, I feel like all of the best teams in the NL, their biggest leaders have been their best pitchers. So like, Dodgers with Kershaw, I think Madison Bumgarner is probably the best example of like a true like leader of a team as an ace. I think Adam Wainwright with the Cardinals is like a really good example for a long time of being like their guy. 
uh, face of the franchise, probably a big voice in the clubhouse too. But I, I, I see your point of like, they don't, they're not there enough. They're not playing enough to, to be that everyday leader. Right. Is that what you were saying? I think so. And there might be sort of two aspects to this of once you get in the playoffs an ace has a chance to say, give me the ball every third game. And I'm going to basically will us to the world series where in, I don't, I, I just think in a regular season, having a guy who's going to play 156 games instead of, you know, 25 to 30, I, I think that can provide a bigger spark over the course of a full season. Yeah, I, I totally see that, that perspective, but I think Ike's point is great. Like, guys like Kershaw and Scherzer and those guys who have been dogs on teams, Verlander, where sometimes they don't always talk about their locker room presence, but you can see how they pitch and how they command respect from their teammates, that they, they definitely are leaders on the team. And I think, I think ultimately it just comes down to personality of players, like whether it's a pitcher, whether it's an infielder, whether it's an outfielder. I think a little bit this team probably saw that with um, – Nelson Cruz, where he wasn't, you know, he wasn't um, playing in the field ever. And he was pretty, what would you say, everyday starter or three out of four games, he was a starter. So he wasn't maybe always out there, but he definitely commanded the locker room and, and was a guy who everyone looked up to and respected how he plays. Um, maybe he wasn't the best example because maybe he's not a huge vocal leader. I don't know. A lot of times with the twins, they don't, they don't have that. But Connor, I think you make a good point there about, I think a lot of leadership in baseball is like you have so much time off from when you're actually playing. Like you're at bats, you get three or four a game, you get maybe a couple balls in the field a game. So there's so much time for baseball when you're not actively contributing to the game. And I think leadership in baseball is a lot of like, how do you carry yourself in the in-between moments of plays or at bats or starts? So I think if if you're talking about how does a, a starter, an ace, be a leader for a team it's how do they treat the the four days when they're not pitching like are they coming to the clubhouse and just joking around and like are they are they distracting from the rest of the team focusing on those other four games that they're not starting and then they're super locked in for one game or can they find that balance of the games where they're not playing they're still contributing on the bench i think that is uh, a good sign of like what it takes to be a a leader as a as a pitcher Oh, yeah. Back to Martin. Question here. Do you think uh, Dustin Pedroia is a fair comp for Martin? Or in terms of like his style of he, Dustin Pedroia was a fighter, fiery guy, like get his nose where it doesn't belong type dude. He's going to work super hard. He kind of does seem like a little bit of a dick sometimes, but it, it might be okay. Like that kind of leadership. Is that what you're saying you see from Martin? Yeah, a little bit. I think that's fair. Uh, Pedroia to me, I, like his diminutive status always comes to mind right away. And that's not necessarily Martin. I think Martin's a better athlete. So play style might be a little bit different because Martin right now is splitting time between center field and shortstop. Uh, but I think that's a, that's a very good like personality and clubhouse comp. Well, then I'm all in. Yeah. I like that. that. If that's what we're getting, I can, I can be game with that. Uh, what's timeline for him? What are you seeing? Yeah. So the twins, you know how they're, always slow with prospects. They take their time slow rolling their prospects. I think they lucked out here. Toronto was really aggressive with Martin. So they drafted him last year, assigned him to double A this year, right away. Hadn't played a minor league game before, sent him to double A. And he's been playing pretty well there. He's hitting like 
285, but drawing a ton of walks. His OBP is like 438, second best in double A. So he's playing really well at double A. So the Twins are basically, their hand is forced. He belongs in double A right now. He's likely going to start the year next year in triple A. But I think timeline, end of next year, maybe middle of next year, he makes his debut and then he's ready in 2023 to be a clubhouse or a, a lineup regular for the Twins. Wow, that's fast. Yeah. And it, does that not get you super excited uh, about the Saints in St. Paul being the AAA affiliate of the Twins? Because oh, now, yeah. like, you get to go and for like a discount price, you get next year, we'll be able to watch him play like in our own backyard. I think that is just one of the best moves this organization has made in a long time. I cannot speak highly enough about the ability to just go and in a more casual environment watch like legit professional athletes play. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I completely agree. Nothing to take away from the independent league and um, and the Saints' pre- previous history, but when you have guys that are on the cusp of becoming, you know, on the biggest stage in the world for their sport, like those are the guys where you 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 know people would pay a lot of money to watch them. Instead, you get to pay like twenty bucks or less to go watch in a beautiful new ballpark with an awesome team with really cool roots too, which I think a lot of people in Minnesota really appreciate that, that the saints really do have really cool roots in Minnesota and a really fun history. And then you top that with some of these kind of premier, premier young athletes that are going to be future, hopefully all stars and maybe even some MVP candidates from the twins. It's, It's really exciting. Awesome move by the twins. Probably the only positive that came out of the season from the Twins were moving the Saints to uh, within the organization, kind of ironically. I also feel like you get, uh, a, maybe this is an overstepping, but I feel like you get a more informed and more like invested fan base when you get to see guys before they're on the big club and you're like, okay, I'm watching him. Like, hey, let's go. We're going to go watch Austin Martin tonight. Like, we'll go out to a game. We got to see what he's got. And then you're going to follow him a little bit more closely in his time in the minor leagues. But when they're in like Rochester, like you're not even like New York, you don't even think about him. It's just like, Oh, he's a guy down there. And for me, personal story there is I went and saw, uh, this was a while back, but Sano was playing in uh, Beloit in Wisconsin for the snappers. And this was like right after we got him, And it's like, okay, we know about Sano. And then you, you go, you get to see him play in a game up close. And you're like, wow, this is a guy. Then you, follow him like you're like i'm just gonna see what he does and you always checking in on him and like that kind of thing so i think it's cool to be able to see guys like that like before they're on the big club yeah i think a good example of that too is the is uh the cubs like the cubs have the iowa cubs or at least had and they the i think a lot of the cubs fan tend to be more informed because that drive to the iowa cubs game is is reasonable. It's not like flying halfway across the country to go watch your affiliate play. And the, for those Hardo fans, especially like that's such a treat to be able to go from that shorter drive. So now you take that and amplify it where it's uh, the change is 20 minutes. You know, that's, that's pretty special. So we talked timelines. Austin Martin's probably going to be a twins regular 2023 question marks in the meantime about Martin. I think like I mentioned, one, do they think his power is going to develop? Twins front office thinks there are some tweaks they can make to his swing to add a little bit of power to get him from the maybe 10 home run projection up to like 20 to 25. That worries me a little bit. Just I have 
trauma from the Buxton days, the early Buxton experiment, where it felt like every two weeks they were like, oh, they tweaked this in a swing and this in a swing. And you could just see him up there as the gears turning in his head and it was not natural anymore. So I hope mm-hmm. this new regime, any tweaks they make are very minor because he is a really good all-around hitter. His spray chart is almost even. He hits for really high average. He draws a lot of walks, really patient hitter. So he's a, he has a really good adv- advanced approach at the plate. Second, his defensive position. If you look at the Vanderbilt website when Martin was on the team, he was obviously their best player. He was listed as a utility guy. He played every position except catcher and right field during his two-plus seasons at Vanderbilt. So he can play anywhere. In the minors, he's stuck mostly at shortstop and center field. You can view that as, okay, he's an awesome athlete and can play anywhere, or you can view that as he's not good enough at either one to stick. I would view it as a positive if it weren't for the fact that Royce Lewis has literally the same questions. Mm-hmm. And on the big league club, Luis Arise is going to be around for a couple of years pending some kind of trade. And he's already kind of that guy who doesn't have a defensive position and needs to be shifted around to give guys off days. You can't have more than one, maybe two of those guys on the field on, on a big league roster consistently. So I think in the meantime, we're setting up for a 2022 shortstop battle. Austin Martin, Royce Lewis, winner gets shortstop, Loser gets some other position. Is it center field? Is it third base? Is it a utility role? Because you have to look ahead too. If Buxton's going to be out of the picture, do they groom one of them as the future center fielder of the Minnesota Twins? But that's going to be really interesting for 2022. What do they do defensively when the Twins' top two prospects, far and away top two prospects on the offensive side of the ball, are shortstop, center fielder, third base, second base, utility men? They're going to need to figure something out next year. So I'm going to be fascinated to sort of keep tabs on that. Man, I'd love to see him just pick right now. One of them's mm-hmm. short, one of them's second, and just let them play all year next year in AAA at those positions and be like, let's just roll and then just get all of that like continuity and synergy up the middle. I think that'd be so powerful for a team to have that. Instead of like this ambiguity of like, I don't know, we're in competition with each other. Like we don't have positions. We don't know what we are. And then, you know, instead like creating this little rivalry between their two best prospects versus creating like an awesome possible like friendship, great connection up the middle with our two best prospects. Because if neither of them has a position, let's just make, let's just say it like, boom, this is what you are. Do you think that if they do that and they end up changing their mind, that's even worse, though? Like yeah, you're saying, that's a good point. If saying, it doesn't work out, if they say Royce Lewis is our shortstop, we're going to have Martin be our future third baseman, maybe. And then they start playing, and they're like, wow, <laughs> Martin is clearly a better infielder for whatever reason, has more range, you name it. Maybe he should actually be our shortstop, and then you flip it, and then is that like viewed as a demotion for Royce Lewis? And um, we know pro athletes are sometimes fragile. I don't know if Royce Lewis is, but in general, I'm not saying it would be. But I, and maybe he, maybe they know, you know, Royce Lewis has the right mentality where he's just like, I'm gonna get it done, whatever it is. So maybe it wouldn't be an issue, but I could see that with some people being a problem. It's a good point. But I actually agree with your point. Like I, w- I would prefer them try to choose. The only issue maybe is the center field piece. 
you don't really want to groom one of them as a center fielder and then get to the bigs and bucks and now gets an extension and he's an all-star and then it's like do you move him to a corner outfield position kind of a waste for somebody who is like a, a skill level that we're we think we're going to get with austin martin or royce lewis then you move him back in the infield then he's got to buy a new glove for like 250 <laughs> bucks it's just a whole thing I also think we have a crowded outfield in the corners, especially with yeah. our with our prospects. And if neither of these guys are true power hitters, for me, I'm like, if they if Austin Martin is a great hitter, just let him be a great hitter. Like, don't please don't mess with him and try to turn him into a power guy. We we can get home runs from other guys. If he's gonna be the guy who's just gonna be super consistent in the middle, like early part of our lineup, I want that. I need that. Every team needs a little bit of both. So if you're gonna be turning him into a high strikeout, high home run guy. I'm not a huge fan of that. I'd say just let him hit, put him in the infield, and then have the corner outfielders be a more traditional corner outfielder, higher power number, higher strikeout, not as great of a defender. Like, I'm okay with that. Versus then now you're if you if you say, all right, he is a center fielder, Buxton stays, then like what you said, Connor, you move him to the corner, and now you've got what do you do with Kirilov? What do you do with, you know, and it's like don't make it harder on yourself. Make it easy. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited about him, Dalton. It seems like you are too. I'm fired up. He's the best prospect yeah. the Twins have acquired probably ever. He's a consensus top 20 guy. He's a better prospect than Royce Lewis. And I think a lot of people were excited about Royce Lewis. So mm-hmm. I, I'm. it makes me really excited. But I think that's a really good transition to why I didn't love the Twins trade deadline overall. I liked the individual deals a lot but the overall deadline frustrated me because they kept saying we're going to retool and try to recompete in 2022. But you cannot convince me that they're going to compete in 2022 when you traded away Jose Barrios, who was only making six and a half million dollars this year. So it's not like all of a sudden we dumped this massive salary that we're going to be able to spend on another starting pitcher and like a pitcher of Barrios caliber on the open market is 20 plus million dollars and they don't have 20 plus million dollars to spend. And the pitching staff was already really bad. So you're not going to be able to replace Barrios. And then you also need to make up for, you know, the third, fourth, fifth starters too, potentially. And I just don't see how that's going to happen. So I don't see how 2022 is a year where the twins can compete. I, I, I don't know if you guys want to, you have a take on it. Ike, you talked a little bit last week about how maybe there's a, a move, but I don't see how 2022 is the year that they can do anything. I think I kind of said a similar thing last week was when if you move away from Barrios, or maybe it was a couple weeks ago, if you move away from Barrios, it looks like we're going full rebuild, which, you know, not to move the needle off of that too much. And then you start kind of looking around like, why did we keep some of the pieces we did? And instead of, going full rebuild, we kind of, and, and we talked about this, we kind of just went halvesy. It was like, commit or don't commit, you know? And so I agree with your point. I think if we're competing next year, Jose Barrios is a guy we have to keep. But I guess from the Twins front office standpoint, maybe they just thought this is a haul, way too much value for, you know, then we're going to, you know, set the clock back and now we're looking to get back into our window here in two years, which as a fan is frustrating um, if it works out and we're World Series champs in six years, hey, we'll all be looking back and laughing on this. But realistically, it's just frustrating when we feel like we're in the window 
We have a solid crew. Some of the moves make sense regardless. Obviously, we've talked about it. We've, we've beaten to death the Isaiah's bomb to see Nelson Cruz leave, as I think we all are. But the fact is, is it, it, that's, a, that's a solid move for the Twins to make, to let him walk, to get some sort of things back. This move, like Dalton said, with the, with the cap situation, it really didn't do a ton there. We did get great prospects, but they're not going to be immediate impact guys for the next season. So I, I think I felt the same way, just a little frustrated that we're not going to make a, make a run at it. So then I don't see, why didn't they trade Michael Pineda? Why didn't they try to move a guy like Tyler Duffy, who's going to be a free agent after next season? Potentially nope. Buxton. Taylor Rogers, I think his finger injury really screwed them. I think he would have been traded, uh, but he hurt his finger. So I think his trade market dried up. But you just wonder, so they kept all these guys. Do they think they're going to re-sign them? That, that must be the approach, but there are multiple guys that they're going to have to re-sign. And Taylor Rogers is going to command good money. Duffy's a good setup man. He's going to command good money. Buxton, he needs a massive deal. It, it just... It feels like they didn't commit. They're maybe going to be in in the future, maybe not. But if they then try to panic trade these guys next year at the deadline, they're not going to get as much as they could have got if they sold them this year. So it's just a little frustrating to me because it seemed like they didn't have a great plan. And they traded Barrios early in the day. They had like eight to 10 hours after they traded him to make subsequent moves. So it's not like they snuck that in right at the end of the deadline. Like they had time to then say, okay, 2022 is not going to be our year. What now? But 2023 and beyond, let's go Twins, baby. Let's go, baby. That's all I had on the Twins. I'm really excited for the prospect halls they got. I think Simeon Woods Richardson has a lot of upside. Uh, I think Joe Ryan has a lot of upside. They, they got some pitching prospects who could potentially fill out that middle of the, or, or middle of the rotation, definitely end of the rotation. Um, and one more note, it was reported that the Twins were very close to sending Kenta Maeda and Josh Donaldson to the Mets before the Mets traded for Javi Baez. And I think that's a really interesting move too um, because Maeda is under control for several more years at a very reasonable rate. Um, hold on, I'm going to look up when he... It, the report was that it was the money the Twins wanted the Mets to eat or the Mets wanted the Twins to eat more of uh, the contract on Donaldson than the Twins were willing to, and that's kind of when it kind of crumbled for him. Hmm. So Maeda is controlled through 2023. So he he would he would be around for at least two more seasons. This thing, I think we've maybe talked about it before on the pod, but it's just frustrating when you see these reports come in. It's like, oh, this, this you know, I would I would assume anyways that that sort of trade would would have a decent haul of prospects as well from the Mets. And I don't know what the Met prospects situations look like, but you know, Maeda, a, a pretty competent pitcher, starting pitcher last year was in the Cy Young running Donaldson. Obviously he's still got some left in the tank. I think we all, we all would agree on that. Um, so it's a bummer when you see those sort of reports come in and for whatever reason, it doesn't work out. Ike mentioned maybe, maybe it was the money situation. They just didn't want to take full of it, but I feel like the twins, may lead the league in no category except for almost getting things done, which is so frustrating as a fan. It's like, oh, we made a competitive offer or we, we've almost found a good trade. You know, it's, it's just at what point are you like, all right, we got to just take the risk here. But 
Like if 2022 is not going to be your year, pay Donaldson's full contract in 2022 and just suck, but then have the Mets pay it in 2023 and recoup those prospects who will be ready in 2023, 2024, and then build a power. I don't know. Like if you're going to be bad next year, be bad. Yeah, go for it. Let's get a top pick. Um, moving on a little bit, staying with the Twins, but as far as looking at the rest of the season, uh, what are some things? To, what are some takeaways? What are some things that we're looking for as the season goes on? Obviously, um, postseason berth is not really one of those. So, what do we think? What should we look for from the Twins going forward this year with the current roster? I think there are two guys that we should keep an eye on in terms of are they going to be a part of the Twins' plans going forward? One of them, Miguel Sano. We've talked about him a lot. Uh, he's going to get an extended run here. Can he hit or can he not? I, th- I think it's close to the point of no return. Actually, it is to the point of no return. Like, figure out what you're going to do with him, or send him send him away. If he if he struggles the rest of this year, there's no reason that they should keep waiting for Miguel Sano. Someone that's a little bit more maybe exciting in terms of future Twins. I'm looking at Brent Rooker. He's been a guy who absolutely mashes in the minor leagues. He crushed at AAA when he was there this year. So I think it's time to figure out, is he a guy who can hit major league pitching? Because there's some guys who are, who just can't make that jump for whatever reason. They get into the bigs and the little bit better pitching just isn't... Their swing just doesn't translate, essentially. He's been hitting well since he got called up. A couple home runs, hitting the ball hard consistently. He's looking like more of a DH type in the future. So the twins really need to decide, is mm-hmm. he a good enough hitter to be a DH? Cause he's a, he's a bad outfielder. Yeah. That was the big thing I was going to say. Rooker in his time with the big league club just has not seemed like a, a really a suitable outfielder for us. So feels like he'd be a, a, a DH type of guy, which then kind of raises the question, is he quality enough hitter to warrant being a DH on a team that hopefully in the next few years is going to be making playoff runs or at least a run at the playoffs, that sort of thing. So it makes me a little wary of Brent Rooker. And I, I don't know where he falls in terms of being a prospect, if, if he would be something that's a trade piece at all or anything like that. But it just seems like we Isaiah already kind of mentioned we we have a lot of people that can play the corner outfield position. I think that the, the organization feels that there's a lot of people. So at some point, we're going to have to start moving these people or find new positions or, or get creative in some way on how to get Brent Rooker and these other potential corner outfielders in the game without maybe wasting that DH spot. And I shouldn't say wasting, but to get the most out of that position, is it is it Brent Rooker in the future? Maybe it is. Yeah, because he looks like a top 100 prospect when he's at AAA. Like he led AAA in home runs, third in RBIs, fifth in walks, like top 10 in extra base hits, total bases, everything. Like down there, he was just absolutely mashing where it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, scale those numbers back. Like, you know, 75% of those numbers would be awesome at a big league level. Like he would be a very suitable DH. But then he comes up here and still yet to be determined, really. He's only played like 40 games in his big league career. So it's too early to really draw conclusions from the guy. But if he's going to be a DH only, he really needs to be a good hitter. Yeah. Uh, So then I guess next 
it was really interesting that the Twins didn't trade Michael Pineda at the deadline. So that makes me wonder, are they going to bring him back next year? He's struggled a little bit with injuries this year and has had, he's struggled the last probably two months. He had a nice start this week, but he's, he's looked a little bit old. Uh, his fastball velocity's dipped a bit. So keep an eye on him. Is he somebody that the twins are going to bring back because they're going to need to now fill four rotation spots next year. So Pineda said he wants to come back. He appreciates that the twins took a chance on him essentially, but when he was coming back from Tommy John, a couple injuries. So he wants to be in the twins uniform. If he performs decently, I probably expect him to, but just keep an eye on him. Cause if, if he continues struggling, that might be a sign of things to come next year. At what point, and, uh, and we're not a body shaming podcast by any means, but at what point do the twins maybe look at, you know, <laughs> seeing if big Mike will get in better shape. Cause I think a lot of the injuries at times will come from being out of shape. I don't think that, um, I don't think you need a PhD to figure that out is when you're putting more pressure on parts of your body because of whatever reason, <clears throat> weight, um, you'll lead to more injury. So is you, do we think that's something the twins are trying to approach with him is saying like, Hey, big Mike, 250 is the two is the new 280, baby. Let's get you down there. Let's save a little. Uh, and I'm sure they're going about it as delicately as possible, but it's one of those things where you think about his career this is your career man like try to get after it a little bit in the weight room or whatever you have to do to get in the right position because i think when when healthy he has been a pretty solid contributor and if the twins can get a healthy pineda maybe a little lighter pineda um uh like you could sign him to a three four year deal and probably see that turn out to be a pretty good situation so again Whatever you want to do, Mike, we're not here to pressure you into something, but it just seems like a potential career move that I think the Twins have to be addressing. There was tons of talk about Sano with his weight, but for whatever reason, probably because he's a pitcher, they just let it go. They're like, oh, Bartolo, you know, random guys are just overweight as pitchers, and it's just kind of crazy to think we're going to hold him to a different standard. And this is hurts coming out, to be honest with you, but it's like a second standard that pitchers sometimes get to be like lazy and out of shape compared to position players at the highest level. It's crazy. Two things on that, Connor. One, uh, I think I think actually twins zag while everybody's zigging on pitching. Oh, yeah. uh, a lot of the best pitchers in baseball right now are kind of those thin, wiry, tall guys. Uh, you know, Last you look now. at... Uh, Giolito, you look at uh, Glass now, you look at uh, uh, what's his face from the Mets? DeGrom. Uh, DeGrom, right. DeGrom, I mean, even Syndergaard when he was sweet for a while, and he's a big, tall, skinny guy. Kershaw, uh, Chris Sale, historically. Right? Kershaw, Sale, all these guys, right? Do the Twins next year, is their plan and all unit staff just get five units up there running them back every single night? Unit, 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 unit. I think I would love to see that. Uh, two on Pineda, are, I think, are the twins worried about uh, Pineda in a post-Sticky Stuff era? I know mm. he'd been ejected once for some pine tar usage, twice, I think, actually. He's been like a kind of PED on the edge guy. Like He's a guy who's always looking to find that edge of what can he do, what can he get away with. Uh, what's going to be legal? What's going to get him suspended? How can the he? The irony like, of that influence? is the fact that like it might just be the weight room is where you could get away with some of the stuff. Like for God's <laughs> sakes, man! Like he tries everything but strictly going to work out, 
to cheat. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and hey, this is big guy talking to big guy. So this is borderline an inter- intervention for Big Mike from me. So, but but I I agree. It is ironic that he's like he's towing the line of everything. Where he you always kind of hear him with the PED stuff. Definitely the sticky the sticky stuff, if you will. So I think the the twins have to make like a realistic uh, assessment of his ability without, and they've seen probably this, they get this half of the season of him without it. I know he's been hurt a few times, so hasn't gotten a ton of starts post sticky stuff. But if they think that's going to make like a legitimate impact on his ability to be effective on the mound, I don't think you can re-sign him. But if they're like, if they know insider knowledge, all right, MLB got a ton of flack for this whole thing. It did not go the way that they wanted it to. They're going to you know, pull back the reins. I think they've already shown that they're doing that this year. You've seen a lot less discussion about it. A lot fewer of those like random mound visits after that, like month long theory. Um, so if they think that, okay, one, the MLB is maybe pulling back and not going to be as strict about it next year. He can start to get away with stuff again, maybe then. Okay. Or two, if they've seen what they, they like what he has without it. And it's just more of a mental thing of like, he feels like he needs it, but he really doesn't. Uh, then you resign him maybe. But if if they think one of those two things isn't going to go his way, like if he's a guy who really actually depends on it to influence his ball enough to like keep him in the big leagues or keep him effective, keep him in the top half of our rotation, I don't think you can rehitch the wagon there. I'm looking at his spin rates this year, and they there isn't anything massive when you look at when the uh, sticky substance ban went into effect. His slider spin rate dropped quite a bit, but... Fastball, fastball changeup look pretty much on track. So maybe that's a good sign in terms of he wasn't relying on the sticky stuff too much. I know Barrios and Hap both had their spin rates drop precipitously, and the Twins shipped them both out. Correlation, causation, I don't know. <laughs> We're cleaning house. We need good quality upstanding human beings. We couldn't handle it anymore. It was getting to that staff. I could see it like as if if Pineda like I could see him just being a guy who genuinely doesn't need it, but has like convinced himself throughout his whole career. Like maybe has always kind of used a little bit of something because somebody told him like, hey, put this on there. You're going to be. And then he had a good outing when he was in like, you know, like 10 years ago. And he's like, all right, this is what I need. But he actually doesn't like is he just a guy who's like he's got the stuff, but he's just convinced himself that he needs a little something extra on the ball. That'd be kind of like a cool um you know, turnaround story for him to sort of like re-believe in himself as like, you can do this, Big Mike. You're capable. You don't need this stuff. You got it all right here in that right arm. Is he a lefty? He's a righty. Yeah. He's a righty. Got, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Build me up, buttercup. And then lastly, I have one more point on the Twins. Uh, something to watch the rest of the season. Who's going to be a part of the bullpen in the future? Because Taylor Rogers is probably out for the season. They traded away Robles. So that means guys like Colomay are going to pitch a bunch. Jorge Alcala is going to get a lot of innings. Duffy might be the closer for the rest of the season. So there are guys that are going to be sort of forced up into higher leverage innings. Uh, I would specifically keep an eye on Alcala because he has pitched really well in low leverage situations this year. But in high leverage situations, he has been brutal. So he's got the stuff that... Early in the season made me think, oh, maybe this guy will be a future setup man for the Twins, but if you can't handle the heat, I mean, you're going to be stuck pitching fifth, sixth innings. We'll see. I think just hearing that, if you haven't tuned out of the Twins yet, it's a good time to do it now. (laughs) 
just spend your yeah. nights doing something. Spend your Come night with on. your family on a on a nice warm summer's eve. Don't watch the Twins. There's a lot of interesting stuff. John Gant, I was watching him. He diced yesterday. His inning was really exciting. A lot of good sliders. Fastball looking good. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff to watch, people. But I'll call it in the eighth inning is not one of those things that I want to watch. Or Duffy in the ninth. Or Cole May ever. Those are just things I don't want to watch. You could almost feel Big Mike hearing the word slider and going, oh, you mean the little cheeseburgers? Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think I agree with Mike on this one. I think as good a time as you can. Good to time really as Dive into some other hobbies you might have. <laughs> and then we'll see you again in two years, though. Woo! <laughs> Alrighty, I think we've uh, beat that horse enough with the Twins here. Let's transition to uh, to one of the teams in the offseason um, that we don't always give a ton of love to, um, but this week we got our two basketball guys, and uh, and I'll just help facilitate the rock. I'll be Ricky Rubio this week, and we'll dive cheap into some old stuff. It's a cheap shot. Yeah, I don't really you know. I'm still mourning. Move the ball now. I'll be... <laughs> I'll be Jared Vanderbilt slash Dennis Rodman. <laughs> Just saying, a young Dennis Rodman was a role player with the Pistons. Just a rebounder. Just a high-energy guy. Just a V8 engine. So, it might not be that far off. Speaking of Jared Vanderbilt, first of all, V8 is an incredible nickname. Major kudos to whoever thought of that nickname. I have, like, I just love it. It just fits him well. It's a cool thing to say. You got a V8 engine, you run the road. Uh, so I'm going to guess it was Jim Pete probably who came up with that one because he's a legend. Shout out Jim Pete. I hope you're listening. Uh, be but, sweet if it was. So right now we kind of, a, <laughs> we, we're in a situation where I think uh, from some of the comments that came out from Rosas and Finch this past week, they definitely see Vanderbilt as a guy who's going to be in the team's future. I think some of the things that they've said indicate that they believe that he has a role on this team and it might be like an equal role or maybe even bigger than the one that he played last year. I think specifically they were talking about the move to get Torian Prince, who's kind of like a, a offensively leaning small forward, power forward hybrid. Uh, they talked about wanting to have like versatility in lineups and they specifically called out Jared Vanderbilt, even though they haven't been able to re-sign him. So they're talking about like, all right, we can have more of an offensive leaning or if we need that defense, like we'd like to see these two on the court together, like that kind of thing. Uh, so I think that indicates that they're really trying to make this move to re-sign Vanderbilt happen. Um, but it also makes me nervous. I think we saw this this last week. He's denied the offer. So he's like in that phase where uh, the Wolves have an option to kind of like match any offer he gets from somebody else. Uh, and the one wrinkle on it is the Tyus Jones link of they have the same agent, same representation. And if you remember Tyus Jones a couple of years ago was set to re-sign with the Wolves. He was all, like apparently about to ink the deal. Uh, and then he got this late like 11th hour offer from Memphis and the Wolves were like, okay, go ahead. Um, and the market's been kind of high for like a guy like Jared Vanderbilt right now. So like there's a potential that he's going to get more money than the Wolves might want to spend on him, especially considering that they are a little, little bit limited in the cap and things like that. So 
I, I'd be interested to see what the Wolves end up doing with Vanderbilt if he does get a higher offer from another team. Like, will they match? Because they've talked about how they see him in their plans for the future. I think he's a guy who has like a really high upside, you know, Dennis Rodman type upside Dalton. Uh, no, but so, I, I do yeah. think he is a guy who has a high upside and, and an important role to possibly play on this team. So I, I'll be interested to see, like, if he gets another offer, will the Wolves match this time or will they let him walk? What do you think, Del? Do you think if, if he gets a higher offer, are the Wolves going to play ball? Well, the fact that they're already mentioning him and their future plans makes me feel like yes. And just a weird move as far as negotiating terms of like, we want you so badly. We're going to talk about you and how you fit into our future schemes before we even sign you. Like if I'm Vanderbilt's agent, I'm saying, you know, our, our offer, our needs are going up, up, up when we hear that. So I imagine they're going to bring him back. It seems like the trade, the Rubio for Prince trade was sort of a move in a sense to clear up space for Vanderbilt. Cause as far as the value to the team, Rubio Prince may be comparable. Maybe Rubio is even more valuable, but they've freed up, was it three or five million? They freed up a couple million, handful of million dollars nine, to help. Nine, eight. Like it's, it's, it was oh, like okay. three from the, the swap of the contracts, but then there was like a, a, an exception that they got that was about six million. Oh, right. The mid-level. Okay. Yeah. Rich. So yeah, I mean, I, it seems like, seems like they freed up some space specifically to bring Vanderbilt back. So I, I would expect them to be on the team next year. Okay. So that, so I, I'm with you. I, I want him to see, I want to see him on the team next year. Uh, I think he, again, is a, is a good player to keep watching develop. Uh, and I think the Wolves have also talked about in general, they're looking to develop. They feel like kind of like they have something. And I, Rosas said this week, uh, we're looking to kind of develop internally. A lot of people are like, that's a cop out. You weren't able to make any big deals that you wanted. So now you're leaning on this like, oh, we're just going to develop our guys. And I personally want to lean that way of like, yeah, he is copping out. And I think to a degree he is probably slightly because you got to say something and you don't want to just be like, yeah, we tried to trade every guy on our roster except for three of them and nobody wanted any of them. So you, you can't say that. So you got to say something. Um, but I think for me personally, it'd be a little bit hypocritical if I were going to be too hard on him for saying like, let's develop, let's see how this thing plays out. Like, cause I, I feel that way about Rosas's position as a GM. I feel that way about Chris Finch as a coach. I feel about like continuity in an organization is good. And like, if you feel like you have something that you can develop, sometimes it's worth it to like develop those guys and see what you can get. I think it worked for like a team like Utah. Like they've, they did a lot of building from within. I think eventually once you have a few guys more up and running, like maybe one, one more year, like of development on McDaniels, on Vanderbilt, on Edwards, then you try to make that one move of like, you're adding a, like a Chris Paul or like, uh, Mike Conley. Yeah. Like a Mike Conley. So like you, you develop a little bit, you know, you get this core going together and then at the right time you add that guy instead of just like always flipping your roster, always having guys moving, like then you have no continuity. You only have this really tiny core of guys who have ever really played together. And like, so I, 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 I have to, I think personally to avoid being a hypocrite, I have to lean that way of like, yeah, let them develop. If you, if you like for the most part, what you have, if you think you have six guys or something like that, that you really like. So like Nas Reed, Kat, D'Lo, Vanderbilt, McDaniels, Edwards. If you like that group, you gotta let them work together a little bit. In terms of like the NBA as a whole on that topic, 
do you think that is that the wolves way to be like relevant or like is that the wolves way to try to like contend for a championship like you know what i mean it seems like right now all the major teams are super teams for you know with the exception of some right the bucks great example of a team who didn't feel like they were a super team and so maybe there's a new age of the nba coming a little bit where it's less important to do that but this is we've talked about it before it's a hard market to create a super team in so is this yeah. the best chance do you think for the wolves i mean if you look at those smaller markets that did things uh in the playoffs this year like you look at denver they followed this recipe you look at utah they followed this recipe uh i think you can also say Phoenix followed the recipe. Obviously, they added a headhunter like Chris Paul, but that's what I'm saying. You have to do that eventually. I think uh, Bucks is a great call out. To me personally, I think they're almost the exact same scenario of like they developed this core, they had a group of guys that they liked together, and then boom, at the right time, they added like a couple key pieces in PJ Tucker and uh, Drew Holiday that like moved the needle. And I think on top of this idea of keeping a core in place, you have to ask yourself, what would the Wolves do with the money if it weren't for Vanderbilt? And you look at, okay, maybe they could sign some veteran who they sort of know what they're getting for five, six million a year. But if you're the Wolves, you kind of need to take a bigger swing. And I think Vanderbilt is a guy where you can imagine a scenario that plays out where he develops into a starting caliber sort of defensive stopper, rebounder type guy. They already have people, plenty of shots, to go to D'Lo, Cat, Edwards. Uh, you can see a scenario where Vanderbilt is sort of the defensive heart and soul of the team. And I think you can take that big swing and maybe he does develop into that. Maybe he doesn't, but if you're going to spend the money on sort of a low ceiling veteran guy, the Wolves aren't in a position where they need something like that. They, they're one of the worst teams in the NBA last year. They need, they need hope. And you can, you can hope that Vanderbilt's going to become something. You can't hope that a 33-year-old veteran power forward is going to all of a sudden turn their career around. Right. You know what so. you know what that guy is. And I think what you said about the like if he's the defensive heart and soul of a team like you there's a lot of value in that type of player. Like I'm looking at Phoenix Dario Saric goes out and I know he's a little bit more offensively capable than Vanderbilt is at this point in his career. I think he's a lot more creative offensively a, a lot of that stuff, right? But he's also a pretty solid defender uh given his size and you saw the Suns were 2-0. and He gets hurt. They lose the next four games. And I'm not saying definitively it's that they didn't have Dario Saric, but like they got bullied completely the rest of the series when they didn't have him in there. And then they had like a guy like Frank Kaminsky in there who just isn't as capable as Dario Saric was. So I think you've got to have a team of all different types of players. Like you just, everybody can't be an awesome shooter. Everybody can't be super good with the ball because you got to have people who can do a lot of different things. And I think Vanderbilt is a guy who has proven he has value defensively. My God, would I love to trade Jarrett Culver for Dario Saric and Cam Johnson? <laughs> woof. woof. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, that's our V8 talk. Love, again, just wrap up. Love the nickname. Want to see him back. Second. Uh, the other guy who's kind of in the same category of V8 is uh, Jordan McLaughlin. He right now, as the roster sits, is the Wolves' backup point guard. I said last week, I don't see him as a capable backup point guard for an NBA team that's going to be in the playoffs uh, or even in the hunt. And that's no smoke to him. I, I think he's an awesome guy from what I've seen about his work ethic, his ability to improve. Like 
he just keeps going. He's super high energy, but he just like as a backup, as a true number two backup, like I don't think he would be the guy. So it'll be interesting to see what they do if he gets, if what the Wolves do, if he gets an offer from another team, because if you don't match, you don't have a backup point guard on your roster. So that means you have to backfill two almost point guards for your roster. Uh, And if they do match, then you're maybe overpaying for a guy that's not capable of you know, filling the role that you're paying him for. And with a team that's so pressed for cash, like you don't want to overpay for anybody anywhere, especially your backup point guard. Everything I said about Vanderbilt, how you can see him becoming an impactful player, it seems like it's the exact opposite for McLaughlin because in basketball, like they always say, you can't teach height. Like just people's physical bodies are so much more important in basketball than any other sport. Like McLaughlin is so limited because of how short he is. Like you look at a guy like Isaiah Thomas, who is what, 5'9", was an MVP candidate for one year for the Celtics. And then two years later, he's out of the league because it's so hard to succeed as a short player in the NBA. Like you have to be so perfect in every aspect of your game. Like guys are going to hunt you on defense. So you have to be that much smarter than everyone else. Guys are easily able to block your shot on offense. So you have to be so much more savvy and quick and all that. Like there's just no scenario where McLaughlin becomes a backup caliber point guard. Like he, he's not that much smarter than everyone. Like within two years, he's not going to be a backup caliber point guard. I, I think he's a good third guy who can step in occasionally, but his physical stature is just too limiting. I see. I, I don't see a trajectory like I said with Vanderbilt. He's like a slightly more aggressive, slightly worse Tyus Jones. And also slightly smaller, I think, than Tyus Jones. Yeah, he, he's a couple so, inches short. And Tyus Jones was undersized. That was part of the reason that the yeah. Wolves didn't want to pay Tyus Jones is they felt like he was undersized to be a backup point guard. Uh, but he led the NBA in assist-to-turnover ratio right. like yeah. year after year. Yeah. So he, he's he's smart enough to be able to succeed. Like McLaughlin doesn't have one standout attribute like that where you can say, okay, I can see how this guy fits into a scheme. He's got heart, though. So yeah, Lou loves him, heart. I'm sure. Oh, got heart. Maybe uh-uh. forgot. That. I mean, nothing against no, him. Like, it's yeah. awesome that he he's... He's a good story, but like you said, was it last week or two weeks last ago? Week, like, yeah. we've had enough good stories on the Timberwolves. Yeah. Maybe all your spreadsheets and numbers just can't measure heart, Dalt. Okay, maybe <laughs> that. <laughs> okay, a uh, couple more things on Wolves talk, and then we can wrap up. First, I got to toot my own horn. This is a toot your own horn podcast, so I just I have to do it. You know uh, in will. February. Yeah, exactly, Connor. Thank you. In February, I wrote an article on Tell em Sports. That's T E L L E M sports.com. Tell em Sports. Tell them, tell them, tell them. I wrote an article in February called Wolves Power Five, uh, power, Top Five Power Forwards. And it was like a list of what should the Wolves do in the power forward position. My fourth option was a pick em. It was a way to cheat. I slipped in six guys, but this was a pick em. And it was between Torian Prince and Larry Nance Jr. And I said, pick one. It's whatever you want. Do you want a little more defense? You want a little more offense? You make that pick. Uh, the Wolves clearly pick Torian Prince. I personally disagree with the choice. I think Larry Nance is a better fit for this team. He's a he's a more true power forward. So the Wolves get Torian Prince. They're still looking for their actual power forward, which is another reason that they you can see that they really believe in Vanderbilt because he's going to be more of a probably power forward on this team. Uh, Nance is a great defender. Be, I think he would match up really well with Carl Anthony Towns in the front court. 
Uh, he is a big like pass deflections guy, gets a lot of steals, a lot of blocks, good rebounder, and and is actually a pretty decent three-point shooter. Like he's not much worse as a three-point shooter than Torian Prince is. And Torian Prince's whole thing is that he's a three-point shooter. And I know like he shot uh, like 38% last year, 37% last year. I think he's 37% for his career on like four attempts a game. Larry Nance shot last year, like in the last three years, he's shot over 35% on like three and a half attempts a game. So he's not a huge step down in terms of three-point shooting. Uh, th- from Torian Prince, but I think he's a major upgrade in terms of personnel fit and defensive ability. So for me personally, I wish they had picked uh, Larry Nance Jr., but in the tooting their horn, horn thing, it was a pick em, and the Wolves picked one of them, and that's all I'll take away from that. I think we could credit in large part the decision for the Wolves taking Prince, or I mean making a move to get Prince was they probably were reading up, getting some uh, research. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. local literature and what do you know here we are <laughs> boom yep i Bet think we had a couple hits on that article and one was uh we had this weird comment from a g.r man and we didn't know who that was g.r man at, at gmail but i think we know now who that mm-hmm. was shout out to the r man yep griffin robertson <laughs> <laughs> uh okay final thing no, I don't. I don't think I have any Wolf's Fest. What was that thing called? Wolf's Fest, Summerfest, Summerfest. I don't know. I don't know. Lollapalooza. No. The, okay. So final thing. I can't remember the name of it, but the Wolves do this kind of every year. I got two takeaways from it. It was this open practice that the Wolves run at Target Center. It's free to the public. If you ever have a chance to go to these in the future, I've always thought they're an awesome event. It's a, a good indication that there is basketball fandom in the state of Minnesota. I heard reports of like the lower bowl was like 90% full for this free event to watch basically the rookies play, like the rookies and second year guys. So like at this event, the most premier player there on the Timberwolves who was actually participating was Jaden McDaniels. And this brings me to my first point. The Wolves uh, social media team had a massive blunder, I think, relative related to Jaden McDaniels. He is right now the Wolves for summer ball for forward thinking. Like he and Edwards are the two guys, right? Like these are the two bright young stars in the Timberwolves organization. Anthony Edwards is not participating in summer ball this year. So that is like, it's Jaden McDaniels. They posted a highlight of him getting absolutely yammed on by like some nobody in this summer fest thing. And that I was like, you cannot put this type of imagery out on uh, your social media. You can't put this on Instagram. You can't put it on Twitter. They did it on both. You got to do a better job of controlling the message when it comes to Jaden McDaniels. You can't put him out there like that on an absolute island. I think that was a, a major blunder. So social media team, they do a great job. I'd like to see this leaning a little bit better in terms of protecting our guys. You got to protect our guys. And Jaden McDaniels one of our guys. Uh, so didn't love to see that. Two, just seeing all the buzz around this, because uh, there wasn't one last year, obviously, because of COVID. But it reminded me of one that I went to. I can't remember the exact year, but it was uh, three big stars were participating in this like sort of summer practice thing. And it was Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, and Zach Levine. Three names that like 
me saying those in unison as first and second year guys should make you a little bit sad because they were supposed to be the future. It reminds you of Flip, all the things that we were growing here in Minnesota, pre-Tom Thibodeau blow up, Jimmy Butler, jerkbag, uh, that whole thing. It was just promise. There was young promise. And I went to this event and uh, it was so cool. So like, this is why you go to these things because these three guys broke out into an impromptu dunk contest. Like, just because the fans were rooting for them when they dunked once. Like it was like post-practice, everything was kind of done. Zach Levine started throwing. And if you know Zach Levine, premier dunker, like obviously he's won what, two or three dunk contests. So you just got to watch a free, like awesome dunk contest from a rookie. Like you didn't even really know, you knew he was an athlete, but you didn't know he was this type of athlete. And then you had Andrew Wiggins there too, who was like, before he decided to just stop dunking was one of the best in-game dunkers, like, in his era. Like he was insane. He would destroy guys. And then he was like, I'm done doing this. So we got to see those two going at it in the dunk contest and cat throwing down big man dunks. It was the coolest thing ever. And it's like one of those things that's like wolf fan. I'll always cherish, even though that whole thing with those three guys never, it didn't work out. Obviously it was just an incredible, incredible time to be alive and to be in the target center. And you could just feel the energy. People were like, so excited. Like this is our core. These are, our, this is our big three. Um, so it makes me a little sad, but a little nostalgic. One of the points I wanted to go back to, <clears throat> are we at all concerned about the pricing model that the Timberwolves are using? The fact that we were 90% bottom bowl full on, uh, we weren't even really, you could argue we weren't really watching like NBA talent, right? Like there were some quality guys, but it wasn't like NBA talent. Maybe that price point's a little too high for tickets. I think this is a great opportunity. You talked about, their marketing team, their social media team, looking, kind of doing some internal looking. Hey, we need to protect our guys, which I think is a great point. I think franchises as a whole, they probably do that a lot. I think this was an error on them. Now I think it's time to also look at our internal pricing. What are we doing here? We got to pack the house. This also is going to segue into Isaiah's old point about building a new stadium that's kind of like a little tighter, a little more... Yeah. So this is, and I, I actually, I've experienced this, experienced this in like real time. So the Pentagon in Sioux Falls, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but during COVID South Dakota was like, their big thing was they didn't close down, which we're not going to get into all that, but they kept the Pentagon open. So NCAA basketball was able to host a bunch of games there. And a ton of the announcers talked about how awesome the stadium was because it seats around like 65 to 7,000, 6,500 to 7,000 fans. And it's a really cool environment that it's right on top of you. The place gets rocking. And I think all this goes back to if you make a smaller target center, we can pack that thing. If the prices, if the ticket prices are priced well, and all of a sudden those prices can start to climb once we all of a sudden have the atmosphere in there. And I think there's a model here to make Minneapolis a massive basketball market. I love this, Connor. We are turning the Timberwolves into the Iowa Wolves. Step by step. That's what it's all about, baby. Butts and seats. (laughs) Well, with that, I think unless there's any final uh, parting points from anyone, I think that'll wrap it up this week for the Minimarket Podcast. Uh, remember to subscribe and to comment and rate us below somewhere. And uh, also, looking forward to uh, 
to getting hopefully the full gang back together soon. Isaiah may need another hiatus, um, but we'll see what happens there. So pretty tired. Overall, another great week. I'm Connor Kern signing off with Isaiah Welkley and Dalton Madsen, the Mini Market Podcast with Tellum Sports. Go Wolves. Peace. 2023 is our year, Co Twins. I'll never get those 20 minutes back in my life.